0: I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. God has not changed his address. God was not a part of the urban flight or the rural revitalization program. God still lives where God has always lived, in your heart. God is still doing what God has always done, loving you. God is still who God has always been, the source and supply of all that you need and desire. God is still doing things in the only way that God has ever done anything, in the only way that God can do anything eternally. Now, some of us don't think God is still around because we haven't visited God in such a long time. With all the changes and the challenges, the ups and the downs, the additions and the subtractions in our lives, our faith in God may have faded Some of us may even have concluded that God has gone away and that there is absolutely no way to find God in the midst of all the pain, the confusion, discontent, disharmony, and discord in our own lives. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God is still in the same place, in the midst of your need, being the same way, merciful and forgiving, for the same reason, love, under the same circumstances, waiting for you to acknowledge and accept how much you depend on God in the Archbishop's Corner, is where Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair reminds us that God is still here and we still depend on God for all of life. It's a good reminder, one that we all need from time to time. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where your input will provide us with important keys to creating a more productive and positive relationship with God and with his people. How are you today?
1: Well, fine, but that's quite a lineup there, things that you're expecting of me. I hope I don't disappoint
0: you. Well, it's always good to start out on a positive foot, right? Absolutely. And speaking of things that are positive, today is Mother's Day, a day to show love, gratitude, and appreciation to all the wonderful moms everywhere. The tradition of celebrating mothers and motherhood has been around for quite a while, beginning in the medieval times. Some churches celebrated Mothering Sunday, which began as a day for returning to your mother church. Over time, it naturally involved into honoring mothers themselves, And devotion to Mary, the Mother of God, and our spiritual mother in the month of May, gives this holiday certain depth for Catholics that goes far beyond giving flowers or candy on Mother's Day. Tell me, Archbishop, how is Mary the greatest role model for mothers?
1: Well, I think we have to back up for just a moment and say that today, something like motherhood that was taken for granted, perhaps, as a fundamental reality of human life, Mm -hmm. of the natural order and of supernatural creation— is up for grabs for some people, many, an increasing number of people, for whom these profound human realities have come to be looked upon as something to be manipulated. I dare say, even looked upon with a certain suspicion, as somehow, in its cultural expression, curtailing human beings and their freedom, or you know, all the the modern ideology that rejects the natural law and rejects the idea that anything is given with a meaning that we have to respect, that we create our own reality, et cetera. So not to start out on such a serious and dour note, but the reality is that uh, we can't say anymore that that motherhood is a given, that is taken for granted, and we need simply to honor and thank our mothers. We certainly do need to do that, but we need to to go much further, and we need, as believing people, to defend the God-given institution and meaning and creation of motherhood and fatherhood of being a man or a woman and that that is is going to be quite the challenge but with regard to motherhood well let I me mean, ask
0: you before you go on to on to yeah, that let, let me let me ask you do you think that the that what society is experiencing today in regard to what you just said regarding motherhood that part of it is is the cause of selfishness and greed there's so much of it in our society today
1: no i don't think it's necessarily selfishness and greed i mean they're always part of the human condition and there's always somebody that can make money off of something, but uh, no, I see it as a more profound personal questioning that people have about who they are and, mm-hmm. what, and what their call is in life and how they relate to other people. And above all, what it means to be a successful, happy, fulfilled human being. I think it's about a kind of um, failure to appreciate where true happiness and true fulfillment lie in the God-given meaning of the human person created as male and female and in the beauty uh, and and joy of being a, a mother or a father. So getting back to the Blessed Mother, you know that the, that God willed to come among us as a man, to be born in, as a human, uh, as a man like us in all things but sin, uh, and to do so through uh, the call of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, this is just is, uh, absolutely astounding. It's startling. I mean, when we stop and think of, how profound uh, and wonderful this truth is. Uh, It's something we should think about on Mother's Day as we also honor our mothers uh, and, and thank them and as we pray for those of our mothers who are deceased.
0: May 9th is also a very special day for another reason. Tell us about that, will you?
1: What's happening May 9th?
0: It was 47 years ago today, making this day a very special anniversary day, May 9th. 1974. You were ordained a bishop on August 24th, 1999, correct? Yes. You were ordained a priest June 26th, 1976, is that correct? Yes, yes. May 9th, 1974. You were ordained ordained three times, correct? Yes. Okay, so what what is May 9th, 1974, this anniversary?
1: It's the day that I was ordained a deacon.
0: Ah, and the only time you and I were ever ordained together.
1: Well, that's, this is true, yes. We were both ordained at the same ceremony in Rome in 1974.
0: Today we're celebrating the anniversary of our diaconate ordination. Congratulations, Archbishop.
1: That anniversary date had eluded me.
0: Well, I'm glad I reminded you. Tomorrow, May 10th, is the beginning of National Etiquette Week a time to recognize etiquette and protocol in all areas of American life. The week is designated to raise awareness of all people to act with courtesy, civility, kindness, respect, and manners, as well as rally people to act with good manners in everyday lives. Experts have observed a drop in courtesy in recent years throughout America, especially since the introduction of smartphones. In fact, the majority of people say their biggest pet peeve is when others use their phones in a discourteous manner. There's also been a decline in simply saying please and thank you. What forgotten manner might be your pet peeve, Archbishop?
1: Well, I'll go back to something that I uh, have said before uh, about what I tell our seminarians and have always told them, when, even when I was a professor in a seminary, about the importance of dressing with respect for other people. And I always said, when you, the way you dress, you don't ha- unless you stand all day in front of a mirror, You don't have to look at yourself. It's other people that have to look at you. (laughs) True. And, you know, the thought sometimes today, now, of course, with COVID, things have gotten kind of ragged around the edges. But I think that that's a very important concept to keep in mind, that courtesy is the way we present ourselves to other people that that have to look at us. And I think, you know, even sometimes the most formal occasions, uh, and certainly Mass on Sunday, I mean, I've had the experience of celebrating uh, even an Easter mass or something where, or a Sunday mass where, where you know, somebody comes in uh, just in raggedy shorts and flip-flops or something. And I, you know, I mean, today we have to be so careful because people don't necessarily understand these things. No one has ever told them or taught them about being courteous in, the, in that way. Yeah. And so they, they, if you, if you take them to task, they're very offended because they don't think there are any, any expectations that way. But I would just ask all of us to realize that it's a courtesy to the other person, the way you present yourself.
0: Thursday, the Church celebrates the Ascension of the Lord, and it's one of the earliest Christian festivals dating back to the year 68, celebrated 40 days after Easter Sunday and 10 days prior to Pentecost. Now, in the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus, speaking to his apostles, says... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, he was lifted up and a cloud took him from their sight. Archbishop, can you explain the significance of this event and what it means to our faith?
1: Well, as you say, it's on the liturgical calendar following the, uh, celebrating the events uh, of the Paschal Mystery. Easter, followed by the Ascension, in accordance with what Scripture tells us, followed by Pentecost. Uh, The important thing there is Jesus made it clear that he spent this time in his risen state with the Apostles, but he needed to return to the Father. He needed... it was only when the Holy Spirit came after Jesus had been removed from their sight that they could then be filled with that Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to bring him to the ends of the earth. So Jesus remains very present now to all of us. And, of course, this is a tremendous mystery. You know, we talk about mysteries that are hard to figure out. That's certainly one of them, you know, that Jesus in his sacred humanity and his divinity can be present to everyone.
0: On Saturday, May 15th, we celebrate Peace Officers Memorial Day paying tribute to local, state, and federal law enforcement officers. The patron saint of police officers is St. Michael the Archangel. He represents the values of chivalry, courage, and justice, and is the patron saint of anyone who works in a dangerous job. Well, in recent years, being a police officer has been an even harder job as officers are under greater scrutiny than ever before, defund the police movement, and the effort to reimagine policing. What are your thoughts? How important do you feel it is for a police officer to have a strong faith as well.
1: Well, yes, I think somebody who puts their life on the line uh, to defend and protect people uh, has to be a person of, uh, of strong faith and and also of strong character. And very tragically, uh, some of the police actions in our country, I think we would all agree, uh, are, uh, you know, because p- police officers are human too, and not everybody is of the same... Uh, mind or heart or or ability and some of them have done things that are really reprehensible but on the other hand that doesn't mean that all police officers should be uh, considered to be the same the police themselves have lamented uh, when one of their number has really done something uh, that is murderous or uh, hateful or disrespectful or whatever so we live in a human world where people are people and you know in every walk of life I don't need to tell you, even among the priesthood. I was just going to suggest can, that. There yeah. can be rotten apples, despite our best efforts, and uh, we need to even have better efforts. This can happen in any walk of life, and so it's happening with uh, some of our police, too. And uh, I think most people are <clears throat> understanding and reasonable, and while they deplore and want to punish anybody, anyone in law enforcement who does something wrong, uh, they they also want to uh, support uh, those officers and, and law enforcement that is meant to ensure the public safety and peace.
0: Archbishop, talk is going around in the Connecticut legislature about the possibility of legalizing recreational use of marijuana. And I know that you and other clergy members have had discussion on that and talked about it. What's your particular point of view on the subject?
1: Well, yes, I, what I did was I, I did appear with the panel Uh, speaking our opposition uh, to legalizing marijuana in the state of Connecticut. And I have to tell you that I was so impressed by the powerful testimony uh, given by some of these Protestant pastors in the black community and Hispanic, of how, from their perspective, how devastating this kind of thing can be among their members. And personally, I absolutely agree that this is a mistake. I think it's pretty clear that the arguments all center around the tax revenue that would be generated for the public coffers, and not necessarily the good that it would do uh, to people. You know, the negative impact this would have on our young people is really very, very troubling. You know, one of the ministers pointed out that Governor Lamont has uh, followed the, C- the CDC when it comes to the COVID uh, restrictions, but he also ought to take into account that the CDC is opposed to the legalization of marijuana for health reasons. So is the American Medical Society, the National Alliance on Mental Health, the Connecticut Medical Society, they all oppose making marijuana legal. I pointed out that uh, that I had heard in the media some time ago that in Colorado, where it's legal, doctors were concerned that babies were being born with traces of marijuana in their systems. And when they told this to the new mothers, they said, well, gee, is that a problem? It's legal. Mm. Uh, you know, because anything in our society now that's considered legal is also considered perfectly moral and good. And this is not the path that we ought to be taking, uh, you know, just to raise more money, not only for taxes, but it will create a lot of money-making for different uh, sectors of society, you know, turning it into a business. Uh, but I don't, personally, I don't think that's the way we ought to go. And these religious leaders that, I, that who I joined in press conference I think they, they, they made a very powerful case.
0: Let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this sixth Sunday of Easter. Our Gospel is taken from the John's Gospel, the 15th chapter. So here's the Gospel account as it is dramatically presented after which we'll find out from you, Archbishop, what your thoughts are.
2: As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends I command you to love one another. What are your thoughts, Archbishop?
0: How could it be any clearer? There seems to be no ambiguity here.
1: Well, yes, you are my friends if you do what I command you. There you have it. Because you know, Jesus is not just some guru, not just some nice figure who blesses the nice things of life, but he says, You are my friends. And that is an astounding thing that Jesus. Called the apostles, and he calls us to be his friends. Jesus is Lord and Master, rightly so, but he has extended to us his friendship. And we, uh, in turn, have to accept that. And the way we accept it is by doing what he commands us to do. And he can command because he's God. It's interesting. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you a slave, but a friend. And here, too, we have this huge ideological phenomenon in the modern world, although it's been brewing for a very long time, that, for example, Marxism says that any form of dependence is slavery and inhuman. And in so if you believe in God and you bow down before God and you do what God tells you in the person of, of Christ uh, that, or, or religious belief, then you're really a slave. And to be truly free to be a a real human being, you have to throw off this yoke of slavery. But that's not the way it, it is with Christianity, with Christ. That yes, we do what God commands us to do. We worship, honor, and obey God. But that does not make us a slave. It makes us a friend of God. And precisely because God is God, there's nothing demeaning about it. In fact, far from it, as Pope Benedict taught, I mean, not that he was saying anything that isn't you know, part of the catechism of the Catholic Church, that when we become the friends of God, then we truly become free. Then we truly become the human persons uh, that we were created to be. God does not diminish or destroy our personhood, but rather he fulfills it.
0: And not only does he fulfill it, but there comes with it a certain joy as Jesus connects his love for us with joy. He loves us, tells us of his love so that his joy may be in us and our joy may be complete so if you feel the love of God, every fiber of your existence sh- should sing out with joy. Your thoughts about that?
1: Well, yes, you know, the happiness and joy can are in some ways the same thing. You know, English we use both, and rightly so, even in re- relation to our scripture and, and t- teaching and such. But there's something about the word joy that maybe happiness can sometimes smack too much of worldly things, but joy, is, I think, conveys a deeper meaning. You know, the joy that Jesus gives us that no one can take from us. Pope Benedict said that what is eternity if not being plunged into infinite joy, to be utterly immersed in joy for all eternity. What a beautiful image that Mm -hmm. is. And Jesus says, I have told you all these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So even in the midst of the world's uh, persecutions and trials and rejections and all the sufferings and difficulties that we have, If we truly remain in Christ, if we remain in his love, and if we do what he has commanded us to do, then we have this joy within us that no one can take away, even in this life. And I don't think that there's anything better or more important than that.
0: How can what is expected of us as believers be any clearer? Love one another as I love you. Jesus is not talking pious platitudes, is he? I mean, the love he's talking about must be lived in everyday life in everyday circumstances. Love on paper is fine, but love in the real world ain't so easy.
1: Well, no, love means sacrifice. Uh, And, you know, to love uh, uh, and to bear fruit uh, that will remain, to use the words of Jesus, means that we also have to do what he did. And that is, we have to be crucified in order to rise with him. Uh, to be transformed, and our crucifixion takes many forms. It is the crucifixion of our sinfulness, our sinful desires, and uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. and eventually it 's the crucifixion that involves the dissolution of our very physical bodies, you know in death. But if we embrace all these things with faith and live as Jesus taught us, well then then uh, th- these things uh, are th- there's the, the joy of the of the resurrection. You know, it was Pope Francis who wrote that letter of his at the beginning of his pontificate, the Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel, the mm-hmm. joy of the gospel. There's a very powerful passage there where Pope Francis talks about how many people are just living this dour existence. And he's not talking about uh, about uh, physical poverty, although obviously that's part of misery But for so many people. But he's talking about this inner emptiness. And he says, it's no way to live. It's not the way that Jesus, it's not what Jesus gave us, that we, we have the joy that comes from living the gospel. And, and that's what I think our Lord obviously is talking about here.
0: Archbishop, there has been a, a lot of discussion, even among the secular press, regarding President Biden's reception of communion as a Catholic who is publicly in support of abortion rights has there been any other discussion among the bishops of the united states regarding this
1: well i think it's on all of our minds certainly much more in those districts where you have very prominent catholic elected officials who i won't say boast but who make it very clear that they not only accept abortion on demand but they favor it and uh, many other things too that i think are uh, morally problematic but that in particular I, in answer to your question, yes, the bishops are giving a lot of thought to this. Uh, as you know, as a priest of the Archdiocese, I sent to all of our priests uh, an, I, I, an article written by one of the bishops, um, who's a canon lawyer, uh, laying out before us the canonical, a theological, and spiritual background for, for how the Church has approached these things and how it ought to. Uh, I know that uh, very recently, Archbishop Cordiglione in San Francisco has addressed this, and I suspect there are other bishops that have too. I personally prefer, uh, because I, I think it's, it's important for there to be some unity on this, because I know there are other bishops who are vocal in saying that, well, we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that. But I think here's a case where we need to be a little patient with the uh, bishops' conference. Uh, there's a, a committee of bishops uh, who are uh, looking at this matter, and it will be discussed by the bishops. And uh, I think that, you know, it doesn't help to have people contradicting one another about the practical implications of this for the church. I think it's important that we, first of all, we we answer in a very principled way on the basis of what the church believes and teaches, what our canon law prescribes. And uh, I think that we will certainly be addressing this issue in some way moving forward
0: do you think that there will be uniformity of thought on this issue after the bishops meet in june
1: well i don't know it depends you know there's some things are a matter of faith and morals some things are a matter of canon law and other things are a matter of prudential judgment and people can have different views on prudential judgments but uh... when it comes to uh... what the church believes and teaches or the law of the church well that's a different matter i think at this point it is there's discussion about the need and the wisdom of uh, denying communion. So those are legitimate questions to be raised, but we have to also answer them, not just each of us what we think or whatever, but also on the basis of a principled pastoral practice. Because, you know, when we do these things, we're not trying to punish anyone. These kinds of things are meant to try to bring people to their senses Mm -hmm. and to say you are doing something that is spiritually ruinous. And for yourself, and you ought to, you you know, ought to, to think twice about this. It's extremely serious, serious matter.
0: We could continue this discussion further, but I think we've got to get to some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners as well, Archbishop. For instance, Monica from Southington says, a friend of mine who is a bit of a history buff said that the root of all wars and political turmoil can be traced to religious differences. Is that the truth? Do you think that religion in general has had a positive or negative effect on the world?
1: Well, I think, Monica, you're going to know that I'm going to answer that religion has had a positive effect in the world. Uh, As far as, yes, I know people, and I'm not saying this of you, Monica, or even of your friend, but uh, to say that the root of all wars and political turmoil can be traced to religious differences, no, Uh, as something of a student of history myself over the years, I certainly cannot say that that is the root of all wars and political turmoil. In general, religion has tried to impart in people a a sense of responsibility, not only to God, but also to one another. It's brought people together in community. Um, But then we have to ask uh, to the how does that relate to people not of that religion, you know, Uh, and that's where uh, differences that are religious, but also Together with many other forms, you know, socioeconomic, political, uh, ethnic differences, all enter into the mix. But religion itself, uh, no, I would not say certainly is not the root of all wars and political turmoil.
0: Chelsea from Hartford says I would really like my sister and aunt, who are both Catholic, to be the godparents of my son. I have been told that there must be one male and one female sponsor. Are there gender requirements for sponsors for a Catholic baptism?
1: Well, I believe there are. Um, I'd have to look into that, but I, I the thought never occurred to me. Yes, just as parents uh, are a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a father and a mother, similarly, if you're a God-parents par- God in the plural, that admits of a father and a mother being a parent. Of course, there are situations, I know sometimes people... Uh, Are orphaned or they're adopted or this that and we don't take away for a moment of that those kinds of situations that present uh, exceptions but the exception doesn't change the fundamentals of life and so it is a godfather and a godmother yes
0: Anna from Wolcott says my church closed a few years ago and the building stands vacant it's always difficult for me to drive past it what is going to be done with the closed churches
1: well, Anna, if you think it's difficult for you to drive past a closed Catholic Church, you can only imagine how hard it is for me. Can you imagine me being the Archbishop of Hartford and under my pastorate of this diocese to have to see uh, so many things like that closed? It's very painful indeed. But on the other hand, I always have to remember, we all have to remember, that the Church in 2,000 years has been through many things. and. Um, you know, the, the building is not the church. The building is the, the people in it. As far as what church buildings, what we do with them, well, they belong to the parish in which they're now a part. So let's say that, uh, you know, whatever new parish was created in that, out of that former uh, parish with its church now belongs to that new parish. And those parishioners with their priests have to decide whether they need all these buildings and whether they can be properly serviced and if not, uh, very often they can be sold or even demolished. As of course, selling a church is subject to certain restrictions. We, we just were very, trying to be very particular about to whom they're sold and for what purpose, uh, because, you know, we don't want a church to be turned into a bar or something. And then I might add, too, that the proceeds of the sale go to the parish to which that church now belongs. The only thing that would be taken, deducted from that, is if that closed parish or closed church. Uh, still owed money, for example, to uh, the pension plan or the Archdiocesan insurance plan if they had, or debt, if they had unpaid debt, then that would come off the top. But other than that, the money remains with with the, the parish that now owns the building.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord, as we enter into the month of May, we call in particular upon the intercession of Mary, our mother that she accompany us through the celebration of so many beautiful feasts during this month dedicated to her, beginning with Ascension Thursday at Pentecost. And we pray that we may relive these mysteries spiritually and be made holier and more prayerful as a result through her intercession. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next
1: Sunday. Until then, enjoy this upcoming week. Thank you.